0: happy holidays to you and yours from the Two two guys talking podcast network
1: this is the versus machine podcast a comparison of great things the versus machine takes on two works of art one source material and one adaptation and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage the Versus Machine.
2: I'm Joseph Burge
1: I'm Richard Gibson.
2: And this is the Versus Machine Podcast. The Versus Machine Podcast is all about education education of the source, of the adaptation, and of what happens when you take something from one medium to another. We want to welcome you to this episode of the Versus Machine Podcast where it's Christmas! Christmas! Cue awesome Christmas music. We're here in Christmas hats. And because it's Christmas here with the Versus Machine, similar to when it was Halloween here with the Versus Machine, we wanted to do something special for you and get that Christmas cheer. And of course, I'm sure you know what it is. It's going to be a Christmas Carol. So let's get straight into today's topics and talk a little bit about them. Everyone knows the story of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and if they don't, they live under a rock. It's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, a horribly mean miser who goes through a transformation by being visited by three ghosts and discovers the true meaning of christmas or is it the true meaning of christmas
3: he discovers a lot
2: now when we talk about charles dickens as we did earlier with oliver Oliver, Oliver which you can see that one over at versus com, (laughs) and that was a great podcast between you and ryan and so we decided to take dickens again with a christmas carol for christmas now in thinking of which movie adaptation we wanted to take with a christmas carol it was kind of a hard choice we had the george c scott version which is pretty much the definitive christmas carol we had versions like a muppet christmas carol or the looney tunes christmas carol where ridiculous ones where they were a little bit stranger and we had a bunch of ridiculous ones there's even one with james earl jones in it
3: which sounds so awesome he is Ebenezer Scrooge.
2: Oh but gosh. I kind I of played a little bit of a prank on Richard, and I decided we were going to do the Patrick Stewart version, which and I Hallmark version, and I did not so tell great. him before that. I did not tell him before that it was a Hallmark version. So we did the <laughs> Hall the 1999 Hallmark Television version with Patrick oh, Stewart.
3: Hallmark Television special.
2: Uh, Captain Picard. He's Ebenezer Scrooge. Yep. But let's get right into it. Let's start with our first one. We're going to start with some characters. <laughs> ebenezer scrooge
3: in the book scrooge is a dissatisfied curmudgeon
2: in the movie scrooge is a one-trick pony
3: scrooge he owns a a firm scrooge and marley and he's just screws everybody out of the most money possible he's he's very cheap he pays his clerk almost nothing he basically just hoards money but and he doesn't actually do anything with it as some of the characters note he doesn't he doesn't live in luxury. He doesn't buy himself a whole bunch of stuff. I, I mean, he's got a nice coat on, but that's really it. He eats gruel. He doesn't even light his own house. He just has money for no reason. Doesn't really make him happy or anything. He just has money.
2: And this is a big deal in the book, but in the movie, it kind of seemed like he may be a miser. He may not. Being honest with yourself, anyone that watches this movie is going to spend part of the time thinking, I really want him to say, make it so. <laughs> Yeah. And that's kind of the way that it's portrayed. He is a one-trick pony. He has one emotion almost the whole time, and the emotions what? that he does express don't seem to be all together. So the yeah, Ebenezer really. Scrooge of the movie is very flat. He's just all flat. He
3: just he's slightly, f- really flat. Pretend, but that's
2: it. Yeah, he's yeah. really flat the entire time, and so there's not really an emotionality there as there is in the book. And this is especially true of when he meets Marley in the very beginning, his old partner, Jacob Marley. He's dead Marley. Yeah, dead Marley, uh, who comes to warn him of the coming of the three spirits. Normally when you read that scene or you watch that scene in movie adaptations, you get this kind of feeling where Scrooge is really scared. Yeah, However, he's terrified when
3: terrified because there's a ghost with like half a jaw and a bunch of chains and it's
2: And when Patrick Stewart meets a ghost, it seems almost like Patrick Stewart's going to pull out a phaser and zap him because he doesn't.
3: It's weird, like it's a normal occurrence.
2: And this continues throughout the entire film, and this it actually kind of plateaus. And you started laughing at the very end, where (laughs) Scrooge is supposed to have his moment of, oh, I'm going to keep, I'm alive, and I'm going to keep Christmas. Where Patrick Stewart literally grabs his bed curtains and just starts screaming.
3: Because in the book, Dickens talks about how Scrooge had a really nice laugh, but it was an underused one, so we kind of needed to, like, break the rust off of it. And so I think that's what Patrick Stewart was trying to go for, but it really just sounded like he was dying. He's just, like, half laughing over and over again. And this persists for, like, 15 seconds, and it was really kind of scary. I'm like, dude, he's gonna die on camera. And then he starts laughing, and it it didn't make any sense. It was very confusing.
2: And it's a shame that there's you know, things missing from Scrooge's characters in the in the film because he's such a central part of what makes the story important right, right. in the book. I mean, he's the main character, so he's yeah. a central part of it. And so the fact that you have a Scrooge that's not exactly all there just seems like kind of a waste.
3: Right, when the central character doesn't have the, the depth that's in the original material, a, a lot is immediately lost there.
2: Bob Cratchit.
3: In the book, Bob is optimistic, yet a little hopeless.
2: In the movie, Bob is just hopeless. Yeah,
3: in this movie they did they did a pretty good job with keeping a lot of Dickens' narration in the and the
2: dialogue was pretty close too.
3: Well, yeah, the narration, the stuff that's not actually spoken, nor is it a character's thoughts. For example, the opening few paragraphs talking about how Jacob Marley's is dead as a doornail. Well, what's so dead about a doornail? They they actually talk about that in the movie, and it, you know, it's a little charming, I guess, but bizarre. Of all of the quotes for them to keep, they they kept that one. And they didn't keep certain ones um, about bob that that gives that helps give that optimistic side to him that's in the book
2: when you compare the two bob cratchits the one in the book and the one in the film you get this kind of like dichotomy that's really strange because the bob and the book you get the feeling like he's a skinny guy who's just he's optimistic Mm -hmm. he loves life he wants to love his family whereas i get that feeling when i watch the movie with uh richard e grant i kind of almost think he's kind of like a meth addict in his mannerisms it's he's not really optimistic he's just kind of there he's 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 really hopeless and he spends most of his time with this strange look on his face like he isn't really sure where he is or what he's doing and it really starts to to bother you towards the scenes where you see Tiny Tim for the first time and you know Bob Cratchit brings Tiny Tim into the house and everything it really starts to bother you that it seems like Bob's not all there and yeah. he's not the same person in the movie as he was in the book he's no. much less happy Yeah, and it's really strange
3: yeah in the book he's He's poor. He has, like, six kids that he's trying to take care of on, like, 15 bob a week, 15 shillings or whatever. He's making no money, and he's trying to support this huge family, and he can't, but he's still very upbeat about it, as if it's not really that big of a deal because he has his family around him, this this happy, loving family. You just don't get that in the movie. In the movie, he's just poor, and he's like, this sucks.
2: There's no real growth of character either by Bob in the movie as there is in the book. You almost feel like Bob grows as a character because he grows to understand scrooge by the end of the film and and they get this kind of like brotherly love between them by the end whereas in the movie you kind of get this feeling as though bob never actually trusts scrooge even when it's all over with right fred
3: in the book fred is bright cheery and persistent
2: in the movie fred is happy calling fred a main character is kind of hard to do especially since they don't even Dickens never actually even gives him a last name. It's never discussed what his last name is or what Fran's married last name was or anything like that. But he is a central part of what Scrooge's, I guess some people would call it an epiphany, what Scrooge's transformation becomes. He's a central part of that emotional journey. Yeah.
3: Since Fred is the only child of Ebenezer's sister, who whom Ebenezer dearly loved. You'd think there w- that Ebenezer would like Fred more because of who Fred's mother is, but he doesn't. And the the ghost of Christmas Past mostly helps Scrooge to kind of realize that it's like you should like you should at least like be polite to him at the very least for your sister's sake. And that that as you said does help Scrooge reach his transformation.
2: And the two the diff- the big difference between the two is in the book you feel like Fred is actually enacting some kind of change in Mm -hmm. Scrooge's heart. In the movie, you get this feeling like Scrooge grows to love Fred in some way, but he doesn't have the same kind of Power that you feel the Fred does in the in the novel. It's very hard, you know. At one point, Scrooge says to Fred, "You have very powerful words. You should go into Parliament." Yeah. And when he says that in the film, you don't feel like he's that powerful, and so the the whole quote seems out of place. However, it in the seems book, more like a joke. Yeah,
3: which, given that in the movie Scrooge is the one who says the whole ironmongery mm-hmm. thing about the doornail, it kind of actually seems like he has a sarcastic side to him which is actually completely absent in the book and whenever he does crack the joke about you're more gravy than grave Dickens is like this is not really what Scrooge normally does he was just terrified so the whole parliament comment comes off as a joke which I don't think it was meant to
2: I think he seriously was trying to get his nephew to change his stake in life I think yes. that was that was a big part of and you see that in Scrooge's past especially with his sister and with his long lost love Belle mm-hmm. how How money drives him, and I think Scrooge Scrooge feels that if his nephew went into Parliament, he'd be a lot better off in his life.
3: Also, Scrooge probably wouldn't have to see him as often.
2: The Ghost of Christmas Past.
3: In the book, The Ghost of Christmas Past empathizes with Scrooge.
2: In the movie, The Ghost of Christmas Past has no real emotion.
3: I think one of the hardest parts about turning a christmas carol into a a visual adaptation a a movie or a screenplay would be actually getting the appearance of the ghost especially so the ghost of christmas past because dickens spends a lot of time talking about how he looks old but he also looks young and it looks like he's receding from the vision
2: he's androgynous as well he's neither male nor female yeah
3: and uh, the 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 visual way that dickens describes the ghost is actually a phenomenal picture of how we look at the past present or future and it it just makes a whole lot of sense once you can you know figure out what he's trying to say and that it's just
2: really hard to picture the the one in the movie looks really kind of creepy there's a big difference between the two of them and the main part of it is how he empathizes with him and in the book the ghost of christmas past is completely and totally he's almost like a parent trying to uh help a child realize a life lesson in the film especially in the hallmark version it was it was almost like he was just kind of there and he didn't really he they even used the same dialogue but not with the same inflection by any means and the fact that they lost the inflection kind of loses at least the beginning of of the entire transformation and it leads right. up to it leads up to so many things because as you and i were talking about earlier with the transformation he's already made a decision to be different by the end of the past oh yeah and so the past well, how is could you not and the past to me is actually the most important ghost in the entire book yeah and in the entire the story impressive. and the fact that and it's really the only time that you feel sorry for Scrooge in the entire book. This, this you know, titular character that's just horrible, and you hate him almost the whole time, and he's just a terrible person, and you feel like this is the only time you can feel anything with him, and I think the Hallmark version just completely loses all of that emotion between Scrooge and the Coast of Christmas Past, and Scrooge and his past, even, Yes, largely. Not to mention, during the Ghost of the Christmas Past as a character, they leave out the entire part where the Ghost of Christmas Past shows Scrooge seeing the love of his life married to another man. And it's kind of like this scene where the Ghost of Christmas Past, you know, almost puts a hand on Scrooge's back. And says, "I feel for you. Oh yeah, but you've made your own bed." Yeah, he says, "If you hate what you're saying, you can't blame me for it because
3: I didn't make this. I'm just the one showing you. I'm sorry that it sucks, but it's not my fault."
2: And he's one of the most poignant ghosts. And for them to and his appearance is really important as well. I would like say so. you were saying with the uh, how he kind of shown he shines bright and he had the hood, mm-hmm. almost a candle hood where he could turn yeah. out his own light. And Scrooge immediately asks him, "Please put on your hood." your light is hurting me Mm -hmm. and the ghost flips out and talks about how men are trying to hide from the light and I think that's a really important point about the book itself Dickens is trying to make a point about ignorance which he furthers in the next ghost with the two children he's trying to make a point about the ignorance of light the ignorance of what's actually there and the ghost is trying to shine a light on the injustice and Scrooge just won't have it right the Ghost of Christmas Present.
3: In the book, the Ghost of Christmas Present chastises
2: Scrooge. In the movie, the Ghost of Christmas Present is creepy.
3: Yeah, and that's really about it. The Ghost of the Past it shows Scrooge, you know, this this happened, and he asks him a few times, you know, hey, what's what's wrong? This seems to be shaking you up. The Ghost of the Present doesn't really care. Actually, he said he's got the meanest lines in the whole thing, in the in the whole story. But the funny thing is, those two lines he has that are. That are really mean are actually just Scrooge's own words thrown back in his face. They're both when before the ghosts show up, these two gentlemen enter Scrooge's firm and, and are asking for alms for for the poor, and Scrooge tells them, you know, are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Uh, because the, they're supposed to be taking care of the poor. And he says if, if they would rather die than go to the workhouses, then they should do it and de- decrease the sur- surplus population. And this is what the ghost of Christmas present throws back in Scrooge's face. He's like, oh, well, Tiny Tim's going to die if we don't change anything, but so what? And that's just a, a horribly mean thing to, to say to throw it back at somebody, but it's completely true. In, so that, that's what his game is I'm just gonna
2: show you how you're wrong in the film he takes him to see the same scenes and he says a lot of the same dialogue yeah. but he does it in a way that just doesn't sit right I mean from the very beginning of the of his encounter with Patrick Stewart the ghost yells out touch my robe in a way that makes me really it made me cringe yeah and, and I mean, that's, that's in the book but it doesn't come off the same way and i think that the the again we find the film puts a kind of connotation or a tone to certain dialogue that isn't in the book mm-hmm. and it sets it completely differently from what we saw but i think the most important thing about the ghost of christmas present and the movie doesn't have it but the book definitely does and it's a shame that the movie doesn't have it, is the fact that the Ghost of Christmas Present is almost just a mirror to Scrooge. He's chastising Scrooge, yes. He's yelling at him, he's berating him, he's showing him everything that's, that, that's happened because of him, but he is, without a doubt, a mirror to Scrooge to show him this is a life that you've created you know he shows him his nephew yeah. how and in the past we saw Fezziwig the ne- the scene at his nephew's house is almost exactly parallel to what happens with Fezziwig it's a nice time with people oh, yeah. who don't have very much yeah. and just one person kind of supporting all these poorer people yeah and it's almost a parallel to exactly what happens and it's showing Scrooge the the kind of kindness that you so loved in the the past can still happen now Mm -hmm. but because you're so mean and and nasty you're not able to enjoy it and people anybody either people notice that you don't want to enjoy it his nephew makes several poignant and nasty comments about how scrooge isn't there and he's gonna live a life in his moldy office right and he's he's
3: missing out on so much that he could have here and his scrooge's actions have their own consequence
2: And the ghost himself seems to have no care for the fact that Scrooge may be hurt by this. You know, at the one point where they're at the nephews, Scrooge keeps asking, please, I want to see more. I want to see more. And the ghost, you know, basically gives him the finger and pulls him away. I mean, it's that kind of chastising behavior that sets the tone for the entire encounter because he starts the encounter by saying, come in and know me better, man, with this gigantic feast. And then all of a sudden he turns into the ghost from hell. And the movie doesn't have any of that. The only thing the movie successfully gives us is at the very end when the children, ignorance and want, come out from under his robe, the movie does a good job of portraying the kind of horror that something like that brings.
3: Yeah, they were very gaunt children. They fit the part well.
2: And the idea, the ideas that Dickens was trying to put into that against the factories and the workhouses and everything else come straight through in the novel, but it doesn't in the film. Yep. The Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come.
3: In the book, this ghost allows Scrooge to actualize.
2: In the movie, The Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come is a cardboard cutout. Again, there's a huge difference here.
4: Yeah.
2: And I want to point out the fact that the ghost's name is actually the ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. Well. It's a pet peeve of mine that, <laughs> that in the book in the book it's called the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. Yet we always refer to it as the Ghost of Christmas future. Yeah. Because the reason why it's a big deal is implying that it's the ghost of christmas future implies that it is what it will be that's the future it is what it is and if we say it's the ghost of christmas yet to come we're implying that we can change what's going to happen and this is a big difference that is not really upheld and it's frightening to see. But at least in this movie, they did call him the ghost of Christmas yet to come. It was one of the it was one of the few things that I really liked that they did. However, the actual characterization of the ghost is completely wrong. In the book, we get <laughs> yeah. this kind of black mask. Yeah, it's it's just a character in a black mask that has no real feature in the film you feel like there's a cardboard cut out with a lady's hand that just keeps pointing at things however in the book he describes the ghost to have emotion with no face Which dickens is, is a, a master kind of, of dickens is a master of detail in a lot of ways yeah. and one of the ways that he's a master is he shows that through the fact that he gives emotion to this faceless being
3: To this bodiless thing. It's just a dark mass and it has a hand. It apparently has eyes, but you can't actually see them. And it apparently has, like, other features, but you can't see any of them. All you get is the hand out of darkness. Yeah, the the appearance of it is definitely different. Putting the eyes in it in the movie, those little glowing red eyes, actually served to make it less creepy because then it actually had some sort of semi-defined face. If you can't see the face, then it becomes less human and it's just scarier.
2: And this ghost basically doesn't interact with Scrooge at all. And the things that Not it really. shows them, it shows Scrooge's you know laundress and his charwoman stealing from him. And it show, I mean, literally the charwoman strips his body and takes the clothes. Yeah. And it shows the people that he knew from the business district talking about how much they hated him. Yeah. No one and it shows Tiny that. Tim being dead. This is a ghost that serves almost no purpose other than to further torture Scrooge by the. Time the ghost gets yeah. there, I don't remember what the exact quote is. Scrooge tells the ghost literally, I've already learned my lesson. I will already be different. And yeah, okay. I, you don't have to take me. He literally still takes him. Yeah, what Scrooge says there
3: I hope to live to be another man from what I was, but I am prepared to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. Yeah, he he speaks about how the the time with the ghost is precious to him because he knows it is for his betterment, and he just knows that he has to suffer it because Jacob said there would be three. But he's like, okay, I'm he's I'm already ready to change, but yikes,
2: he's, he's already good. learned his lesson. But he goes with the ghost almost as I feel like it's a solidify thing. I feel like oh, yeah. it's trying it to cement it. into his head. Uh, you say you've learned a lesson, but if you decide you don't want to learn it anymore, well, let's here's make sure wh- this stays. Here's where it, and you know. In the film, it ends with him in, in the actual ground with his body. Yeah. Which then he f- falls through a vortex into his bed, which seems kind of strange. But regardless, it's this kind of actualization. We say actualization because what it allows Scrooge to do is actually make a plan. Before, he's figured out, I want to be different, I'm going to be more cheerful. But he hasn't actually figured out how to do that. I think seeing the ghost helps him figure out how he's going to go about his new transformation yeah you see in the past here's all this stuff you lost
3: you had this sister that you loved you had this other woman that you loved you had a good work relationship okay well you kind of just screwed all that away here's what you're doing in the present how you're really not making anybody's life any fun and the end result of that is that when you die people will be glad that is the only emotion people will have upon your death they'll joke about it they'll be glad that they have less that they'll eventually get a nice creditor than you i mean that you see that and you're like wow i don't want that to be my future because that sucks like okay i'm gonna die eventually sure i would prefer somebody to have some tenderness or compassion about my death you're gonna make a plan
2: after you see that the ghost of christmas yet to come is one of those ghosts where you can either do it right or do it wrong and i feel like the movie difference is so far off base that you don't even get the same feeling at the end of it you don't it's even get as the
3: terrifying as it doesn't when you see it you're not like in fear and you're just kind of like okay spirit you know do what you will i'm gonna not make you mad and that's what scrooge is feeling he was terrified of the thing and he doesn't want to be near it he just knows he has to be
2: and i think dickens's point was to scare you i think dickens's point was i'm going to scare the reader Mm -hmm. into following my advice without actually ever speaking to them yeah i think you completely lose that in the film version Yeah. But we want to hear what you think. We've made it through all of our list of characters. We want to know if we missed any. We didn't talk about Marley enough. Was Belle just the character you think needs to be talked about? I
3: didn't talk about Fezziwig too much.
2: <laughs> but let us know. Head over to v- Facebook.com/slash versus machine and write it on our wall and let us know what you think. <laughs> Themes: Christmas spirit. A lot of people take this novel and they turn it into a Christmas story, you know, Christmas spirit. It's all about having generosity at Christmas time and promoting Christmas. Leaving and living Christmas every day of your life. But the thing that people don't do is they don't research the point of the novel and they don't research the time in which it was written the time that dickens wrote this novel christmas was a big deal it was really popular in england because they were trying to bring back old style christmas values there were a lot of different english writers at the time that wrote christmas novels for the sake of it sold really well dickens wrote his novel having nothing to do with christmas because he wanted to put it in a in a package that people would open. And so he wrote A Christmas Carol about Christmas because he thought people would listen to Christmas. Is there a lesson in this book in Christmas spirit? Absolutely. Does the movie continue the lesson? No, the m- most movie adaptations of this completely lose the main part of the lesson and try to make it about Christmas and make it about Christmas spirit. Christmas spirit is important. The idea of giving, the idea of goodwill towards your fellow man, love, all of that is really important. But it simply is not anything to do with what Dickens' original intent was. The book is less about Christmas
3: spirit and more about general goodwill. It's not... The idea isn't to have more generosity or whatever at Christmas time. It's just to take that as the the gentlemen who are trying to get a donation from scrooge to the poor say that there's people are more generous at christmas time that is to take that and to make that the norm that's what the idea is let's not only be nice around december 25th let's let's take that generosity and have that all the time just having general goodwill
2: towards people but don't you hate it when people misrepresent that as christmas spirit because i feel like that's exactly what a lot of people are arguing about when they say we've commercialized Christmas and Christmas spirit. And I feel like that's what we're doing. We're turning the idea of goodwill and saying it's Christmas spirit. Goodwill is goodwill. Then it has nothing it to time. do. It has nothing to do with Christmas. Right. Christmas has absolutely nothing to do with the idea of goodwill. It has to do with a Christian holiday that was merged with a pagan one. Christmas spirit is, is is one of the most constructed ideas in modern times. Christmas spirit doesn't even make sense. Goodwill makes sense. We yeah,
3: should be so fostering let's have that
0: all
2: the time. So let's foster goodwill, right. not Christmas spirit.
3: Yeah, so the whole idea of this is not christmas spirit as much as it is just general goodwill all the time scrooge says that himself before the ghost of the christmas yet to come departs from him he says i will honor christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year i will live in the past the present and the future the spirits of all three shall strive within me it's not just i'll I'll be nice in the month of december i'll take that and i'll do that all the time that's just going to be what i will do on a day-to-day regular basis there's a big difference in that.
2: but we want to know what you think Which do you think is important? Is Christmas spirit important or is goodwill important? Let us know by heading over to facebook.com slash versus machine and writing on our wall and letting us know what you think. The power of generosity. Similar to the idea of Christmas spirit and goodwill, the power of generosity is a big deal here but not in the way that you might think it is. The power of generosity is often mislabeled in several movie versions, including this one, according to the book, of giving of yourself, of money, of presents, and things like that. That's not what the power of generosity is. I think one of the best quotes in the book that sums up the power of generosity is a quote about Fezziwig, and how Fezziwig's generosity and his entire being is what makes life good or bad. Scrooge talks about Fezziwig has the ability to make our work hard or light. He has the ability to give us money or take it away. And that kind of generosity, life generosity, is the most important thing of all. It's not money. It's not material possessions. It's the ability to make a decision that betters someone else.
3: Yeah, after the the Ghost of Christmas Past shows Scrooge that nice party that they had i think mostly to goad scrooge the ghost says it's really a small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude he has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money three or four perhaps is that so much that he deserves this praise and then as you were saying scrooge was saying replies that fezziwig has the power to render us happy or unhappy to make our service light or burdensome a pleasure or a toil to say that, that his power lies in words and looks, in things so slight and insignificant that it is impossible to add and count them up, what then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. It's not how much you, you spend, it's, it's the thought that counts. I mean, if we're talking Christmas here, let's throw in, you know, one of those normal gift giving things. It's, it's the thought that counts. He was a good employer. He um, Ebenezer and Dick, the two apprentices, they enjoyed working for him. Because he was a jovial man, he, you know, huge, just the, the typical fat jolly guy. That was was what he did. I mean, they had a friggin' party in the firm, in their business house because it was big enough and invited a bunch of people over and just had a big dance party. It was, was a fun thing. And there was no reason for him to do it. He could have been like, all right, it's Christmas Eve. work days over, go home. I'll see you in two days. But instead he had a big party.
2: And Dickens is really big on the idea of Treating your workers with respect and treating yep. the poor with respect, right. and understanding that overworking people is a terrible idea—that yep. was one of his big soapboxes the entire time he was alive. Yep. So his intent wasn't so much the power of generosity at Christmas time or the power of giving; it was the power of the ability to treat each other equally, all and, all as if, and as if all people have merit. Right. Rich versus poor. One of Dickens' biggest hot button issues is the difference between the rich in England and the poor in England and how big of a gap there was. Scrooge laments of workhouses. He laments of, you know, prisons. We saw earlier in Dickens' work with Oliver, the other podcast (laughs) you can see at VersusMachine.com, How workhouses really end up sometimes, and
3: how they're—I mean, I had—I had read A Christmas Carol before. I read it before Oliver, and Scrooge says this thing, you know, are the union workhouses—they're still in force, right? Let the poor people go there, and you're like, okay, that—that's a pretty mean thing to say, but he might have a point. And then you read Oliver, and you're like, wow, what this, what Scrooge was recommending is—is is just terrible. What because what goes on in the in the workhouses is not. Is not anything you would wish upon your worst enemies, and I, I I wonder how much Scrooge actually knew that. I mean, he might he paid his taxes to the workhouses, but I don't know if he knew what was going on. In
2: I, he was never poor. He went to a private boarding school, so I'd imagine he didn't know much of anything. And Dickens, this is often lost in the movie again because we take the movie and we make it simply about Christmas. Dickens really wanted to hammer home this idea that. Equality is the most important thing in life. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're in the middle, it doesn't matter. It needs to be equal. It needs to be equal. And Dickens was a big believer in the fact that the rich should also sometimes help take care of the poor out of the goodness of their heart. Right. And the fact that they don't kind of shows the true colors of England. And or just of everybody. He was really disgusted a lot of the time. Yeah. Of the things that happened
3: and he had a great right to be unfortunately that problem is not only in a you know an 1800s london problem
2: and unfortunately a lot of the times films lose this theme and they lose the idea of the rich versus the poor which was a, a main tenant of how scrooge did most of his things it's really sad to see that kind of a thing lost i don't think you fully understand scrooge's character unless you understand the rich versus poor All right. We're going to take a break here on the versus machine podcast. We'll be right back.
0: Pinnacle entertainment is a dynamic and growing casino entertainment company with nearly 15,000 team members. In 2013, Pinnacle Entertainment acquired Ameristar Casinos, expanding its portfolio to operate in nine states with 16 locations, including 14 casinos and two racetracks. Pinnacle Entertainment's culture is guided by its values, integrity, care, excellence, innovation, and ownership. It's through these values that we fulfill our commitment to remain focused on doing the very best for our team members, guests, and shareholders. At Pinnacle Entertainment, the future is at the forefront. We focus on thoughtful, organic growth in our existing locations and expanding our family of destinations by seeking new opportunities and partnerships. To learn more about Pinnacle Entertainment, visit pnkinc.com.
4: Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. When you think of magazine, radio, or television ads that people might see or hear once, well, then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after it was originally inserted in the podcast. So even if your advertising was included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Isn't it time to change up the way you're advertising? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors.
0: Don't miss the next episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't just a television show now on ABC. It's a great new podcast available at agentsofshield.tv. Only on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. This is Scott Roberts of the Two Guys
2: Talking Podcast Network. Everyone has a website, but is it ready for mobile devices? Now that more than half of people who access the web are doing it from smartphones and tablets, your website must be mobile ready. Contact us at twoguystalking.com slash webservices for a free evaluation now to make sure that your website is mobile ready. Welcome back to the Versus Machine podcast. I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And today it's Christmas. So we're taking a Christmas carol. Yep. Lessons. Dickens intent. We've talked a lot about Dickens intent and how Dickens really didn't make this a Christmas story. I just want to further elaborate that Dickens was telling people that they should know better. They should know better about the poor. They should know better about how to treat each other. They should know better about how to do anything. Dickens grew up poor, and he worked hard to find money. He didn't understand why people who worked hard for their livelihoods couldn't see that people who didn't have the same, I guess, stars need help. And that's a big part of this. And I think The Ghost of Christmas Present embodies this especially when he runs around with the cornucopia sprinkling the special seasoning on different scenes and a lot of people kind of shrug that off but i think that's a way of dickens kind of symbolically saying i'm gonna sprinkle some help on people that don't have any because i have a lot i have a cornucopia and a large amount of things. I'm rich because I have 1800 brothers and sisters and I have a large feast, but I'm going to spread some of the joy around to all these people who have nothing.
3: I think a lot, of, a lot of that was he was the ghost of the present. He wasn't so much the ghost of wealth, though he was sitting on that ridiculous feast of food when Scrooge first finds him. What I thought a lot of that was, you know, live, let's live in the present. What you have right now, enjoy what you have here. You can, as it has later, after on the actual Christmas day, after all the ghosts and everything, Scrooge is running around seeing all these different things. And it shocked him how every little thing could bring him pleasure. And I think that's what the Ghost of Christmas Present is doing when he's sprinkling his water or seasoning or whatever it is on everything. He's saying, this is what you have right now. You can enjoy this right here. This thing that you've got. It might not be too much this little pudding that you you know Bob Cratchit your tiny pudding that is definitely the only thing wrong with it is that it's too small for this family of like eight but they're still enjoying it they still love it this you know it's it's a goose it's not like the best meat ever it's a, it's a goose but they still love it and that it's just I'm going to help you enjoy the present that's what I think he's actually sprinkling on everything that's why the poor man needs it the most
2: and I think that fits into Dickens intent very well it's the idea that you need to enjoy the little things in life Oh, yeah. Even if you don't have everything. And if you have everything, you need to help the people who have nothing enjoy the little things in their life.
3: And you need to enjoy still the little things that you have because because you still have the little things. Just like talking to this kid on the street, you know, just like. Scrooge says, I wish I had.
2: Scrooge says, there was a boy singing carols at my window. I wish I had given him something during the past. Yeah. It's little things like that that I think Dickens is advocating for because they amount to a lot. You put a yeah. smile on one person's face, you may change their life. You never know. You never know. Applications.
3: This is a very applicable story. As we have been saying, the issue of the rich versus the poor, it's not gone. It's still there. We still have the super rich and the super poor in our own country. That idea can still be applied today the idea of gaining pleasure from the present and not dwelling on your mistakes in the past or grasping for a a future that you can't
2: get. I live in the present. You
3: know, what you have right now is nice. I think that's an applicable thing.
2: The application of this and how we want you to take away from this, especially the two of us, is that whole idea we just talked about with the put a smile on somebody's face. Put a smile on anybody's face. The random person you meet at the mall, the person you see standing on a street corner, put a smile on somebody's face. You never know you may change their life. Dickens advocated for a lot more than anyone should reasonably expect from someone dickens advocated that the rich basically bend over backwards to help every little person i don't even and i don't know how you feel but i don't expect that of anyone i expect the little things you find a kid with a broken ice cream cone you buy him a new ice cream cone <laughs> you know. You, you find the girl that looks like she's having a bad day, you put your hand on her back and tell her she looks pretty. And we as a society should be more receptive to those little random acts of kindness. Oh, sure. Part of the problem, and we can learn from, we can learn from Dickens' story in a big way because everyone in Scrooge's town was receptive to little random acts of kindness. Yep. They all knew each other. They were all nice to each other. They were all, you know, together. And we as a society can take away from that the same thing all year. We can be nice to each other. We can support each other. And when somebody's nice to you, don't automatically go into combative mode and defensive (laughs) mode if i see richard on the street and i walk up to richard and i say hey your beard looks nice today he's not automatically (laughs) going to turn around and punch me in the face Uh. and tell me you know why are you talking to me i don't know you yeah we need to become more receptive as well as giving as a society and apply the idea of exactly what you were saying in the quote keeping the three spirits alive all of our life it's a really important thing that we go both ways and not just one.
3: I like how you said that we need to be we need to be more giving, but we also need to be more receptive of the little things and sometimes of the big things.
2: And I feel like I, when we go out into society nowadays, we don't see people receptive to the little things. They only want the big things. We've become yeah. a, a society of people that only want what dickens is advocating exactly which is bend over backwards for me that's all i really want why can't we do the little things that dickens is advocating Mm -hmm. scrooge walks through the street he shakes somebody's hand why don't you come see me sometime when are you coming to see me he throws you know he throws the little coin to the kid who goes to get the goose for him
3: right yeah half a crown i I don't i don't it wasn't like four thousand dollars yeah
2: it was half a crown it wasn't a big deal it was much. it wasn't a lot i but think
3: if the kid still loved it mm-hmm. i mean it was like hey get back here in five minutes i'll give you half a crown the kid was off like a shot it was like wow you know he's excited about that and i, I think people would do that so much They'd be like you're gonna give me a dollar yeah yeah I'll pass.
2: But who cares about the amount that somebody puts into what they're asking you to do? If what somebody's asking you to do in Scrooge's case, he was asking him to buy a goose to go give it to a poor person. <laughs> right. Uh, Just go bring the the poulterer back here. That's not that much. Just yeah. get him. Like, and what? you That's never no know deal. you never know if the one thing that somebody's asking you to do may make a world of difference to somebody else. Right. The more receptive you are, the better we can make our society epiphany
3: i had a creative writing teacher once who said that she didn't like this story because she doesn't believe in epiphanies i'll agree with that statement that that epiphanies are a little bit unbelievable but that's not what happens In A Christmas Carol, the movie sort of pitched it that way, that it was a little bit of an epiphany. The movies that I've seen, the way that people understand it, is when Scrooge sees his grave, he immediately repents of everything. That's not the case at all. After, when Marley shows up, he sees the chain on Marley that's, you know, yards long. Marley's like, yeah, seven years ago, yours was as big as this. And Scrooge is like, oh, that... Sucks. I don't want that. And he's already receptive to change. It wasn't an epiphany at all. He's ready to change all the time.
2: As we said earlier, he's already decided he's done by the time the second ghost is done with him. By the time of the ghost of Christmas yet to come has come to him, he's already decided that he wants to change. He's completely done. He right. just needs to actualize his change. There is no epiphany. Oh, no. And the way that it's filmed most of the time, and especially in this version, mm-hmm. it looks like an epiphany. Right. It looks like he just suddenly decides to change.
3: And epiphanies are rather unbelievable because people, you might have a sudden realization and you might have a sudden conviction and be like, yeah, I need to change my ways. But that one instance is not enough to get you through the rest of your life, which is why Scrooge needed, well, he really got visited by four ghosts if you count Marley. That's why it takes all of this and not just, oh, hey, if you continue in your ways that you've done your whole life, you're going to die alone and no one will love you. But that's not going to change his life. That's why he needed four goes.
2: Children's books. This is kind of my soapbox moment. In addition to our whole applications part, this is kind of my soapbox moment. We've taken the story of A Christmas Carol and adapted it several times. And one of the most frequent adaptions we do is we take it and abridge it for children. Yep. The problem with that is, and it's the problem that we're seeing a lot in our society with children's books, we take all the meat out of the original version to make the abridged version, and kids don't really get the point anymore. That's why it becomes simply a story about Christmas. We get rid of the children of ignorance and want. We get rid of Scrooge seeing his the love of his life with someone else because he failed to There's act. We lose all of the really hard parts of this novella, and because we do that, children don't really get the message. And that's a horrible thing to do to any child. It's a that's horrible the thing to do to this story because it is so rich. It's a horrible thing. And this goes for a lot of different versions of children's books nowadays. We need to put terror <laughs> back into children's books, for lack of a better word. We need to put the hard stuff back into our kids' books and our kids' the minds. Hard stuff. Yes, do the hard things. Because... The fact that we've left them out leaves our kids ill-prepared for the rest of the world, and it makes it an unreceptive society. Back to Going back to our applications part, we are creating the unreceptive society by shielding everyone from the truth of what actually happens in the world. We're creating this unreceptive society by scaring them into thinking, strangers will always hurt you. But we le- we left out the part of the story where Scrooge learns... Yes, I screwed up and stra- and you know everything was bad, but I can make it better. All you really get from the story then is, I learned that Christmas is awesome <laughs> and I'm going to be Christmas all the time. Yep. And we completely missed the boat there. When you tell your kids a story or you read your kids a book, make sure that the book has all the angles that the child can learn. That way when they grow up, they understand... Some strangers will hurt me, but some strangers can help me and give me all the important things of life. And the fact that we've sucked all of the strife out of life almost, we're trying to baby, we're trying to baby feed everyone. And we've sucked all of the hard parts out of life. And because we've done that, we're creating a race of people that not only don't want to help each other, they don't know how to help each other because they don't even know how to manage themselves. And because we've created this society, it goes back to Dickens' main point. If you know better, you should be able to act. If you as a parent know better, you should be able to act to help and create people that will fulfill the Dickens' prophecy that allows you to help other people. Because if your kid grows up completely unaware of the real world, they may not even know that there are people out there that need their help. That does it for us here at the Versus Machine Podcast. We've had a lot of fun today with the Christmas carol, but we do want to tell you Merry Christmas, have a happy new year, and happy holidays from all of us here at the Versus Machine podcast. We're really hoping that you heed our words about some of the important points that we want to get across to you.
1: I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And we'll see you next year. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at VersusMachinePodcast.com. That's VersusMachinePodcast.com. Thank you for listening and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power down.